Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Friday, January 12, 2024. The United States and United Kingdom launch airstrikes against Houthi targets in Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen after President Joe Biden and allied nations warned the militant group, backed by Iran, of consequences of their attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea. We'll hear from President Biden, plus the White House spokesperson John Kirby, Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher, Lieutenant General Douglas Sims, Director of the Joint Staff at the Pentagon, and the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. U.S. House Speaker Republican Mike Johnson says he plans to stay with the federal government spending agreement he reached with the Democrats. Yesterday, after meeting with conservative House Republicans, he had suggested he may look for additional spending cuts. President Biden travels to the Allentown, Pennsylvania area to talk about Bidenomics, and the White House also announces additional steps on student loan debt relief. House passes a bill to block a new regulation that would make it easier for contract and franchise workers to unionize. The FAA Administrator Michael Whitaker talks about the investigation into Boeing after the door plug on a 737 MAX 9 airliner recently blew out shortly after takeoff. And NASA unveils a new supersonic aircraft designed not to make a sonic boom, and that could be a step toward faster-than-sound commercial flights over land. Associated Press reporting the U.S. Navy on Friday warned American flagged vessels to stay out of areas around Yemen in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden for the next 72 hours after the U.S. and Britain launched multiple airstrikes targeting Houthi rebels. The warning and a notice to shippers came as Yemen's Houthis vowed fierce retaliation for the U.S.-led strikes, further raising the prospect of a wider conflict in a region already beset by Israel's war in Gaza. The U.S.-led bombardment launched in response to a recent campaign of drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the vital Red Sea killed at least five people and wounded six, the Houthis said. The U.S. said the strikes took aim at more than 60 targets in 16 different locations across Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. That was from Associated Press. President Biden answered some questions about this as he was traveling in Allentown, Pennsylvania. President, you said, um, to follow up on what you said a, a few um, minutes ago uh, at the coffee shop, you said um, you think that Houthis are, are a terrorist group. I'm wondering how soon are you willing to designate them as such? It's irrelevant whether they're designated. We've put together a group of nations that are going to say that if they continue to act and behave as they do, we'll respond. What do you think? And, and, and a quick one on uh, oil prices, sir. Uh, oil hit $80 a barrel this morning after the strikes. How concerned are you about the impact the strikes will have on oil supply and prices? I'm very concerned. That's why we got to stop it. So what do you think the members of your own party that believe you needed congressional authorization for last night's strike? I'm sorry? What do you say to members of your own party who are saying you needed congressional authorization for last night's strike? They're wrong, and I sent up, the, I sent up this morning when the strikes occurred exactly what happened. President Biden at a firehouse in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He earlier said at that coffee shop when asked if the U.S. was in a de facto proxy war with Iran, he answered no. The spokesperson for the White House National Security Council, John Kirby, took reporters' questions about the Houthi strikes as they all flew up to Pennsylvania on Air Force One. Give any new assessments this morning about how much the Houthi capabilities had been degraded and how significant the damage was to the targets with the strikes last night? We're still doing that assessment right now. It's what we call a battle damage assessment that's ongoing. And it could take some hours before we can have a better sense, a clearer sense of what the actual damage done. Uh, I would just remind that these were all uh, valid, uh, legitimate military targets, uh, all really aimed at going after the Houthis' ability to store, launch, 
uh, and guide uh, drones and missiles. Is the president ready for a war in Yemen if it were to come to that? And would he be willing to send in ground troops? We're not interested in uh, a war with Yemen. We're not interested in a conflict of any kind here. In fact, everything the president has been doing has been trying to prevent uh, any escalation of conflict, uh, including the strikes last night. Have you seen a bipartisan group of uh, members of Congress say that the president violated the War Powers Resolution? What's your response to that? Uh, we're very comfortable and confident uh, in the legal authorities that the president exercised to conduct these strikes. Are you expecting an attack in the Red Sea today? Do you see that as being ineffective or not really showing that they were degraded after your strikes last night? Look, I think there was... Um, uh, uh, going into this, certainly no, nobody was Pollyannish about the possibility that the Houthis might conduct uh, some sort of uh, retaliation. So uh, I don't have the operational reports on this, um, but again, they've got choices to make here um, and the right choices to stop these uh, reckless attacks. As the president said, I'll point you to the last sentence in his statement last night, he reserves the right and he won't hesitate to take further action to protect our troops and our facilities and international commerce. Was in the situation room last night when he decided to make those airstrikes, that decision? He made, that de he made the decision to approve these options after the attack on Tuesday, the big attack that was like 18 uh, drones, some cruise missiles, ballistic missile, and uh, he was kept up to speed as that attack was unfolding. It took some time. Uh, when uh, he was briefed that uh, it had been accurately and effectively defended, he called his national security team together. This is Tuesday afternoon. Uh, was presented with the uh, response options and approved those options at that time. Now, as opposed to earlier, this has been going on for a while. Some Republicans would say it should have been done earlier. This is overdue. So, what made now the right time to do it? I think um, you have to keep it in context for everything they've been doing since late November, Peter, um, and repeatedly since that time. You know, I, I, you guys seen the TikTok? We've. On the diplomatic front, we've worked with the UN, we've worked with coalition partners to condemn those attacks, work on that UN Security Council resolution, put together Operation Prosperity Guardian, which is really about defending international shipping in the Red Sea, boosting our military presence in the Red Sea. I mean, everything the president has been doing since these attacks really started in late November has been designed um, to disrupt their ability to do that, but also to send a strong signal to the Houthis that they need to stop. And on Tuesday, we had this very uh, large uh, uh, attack on multiple ships uh, in the Red Sea using, again, uh, a, 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 a large number of drones, cruise missiles, and ballistic missiles. Um, and, uh, and right before that, you might remember, the, we issued what can only be understood as a final warning to the Houthis. They violated that, obviously, in this attack on Tuesday, and so it led to these strikes. John Kirby, Strategic Communications Coordinator for the White House National Security Council, taking reporters' questions on Air Force One. Some of that critical response from Congress, Congresswoman Cori Bush, Democrat of Missouri, posting, President Biden can't launch airstrikes in Yemen without congressional approval. This is illegal and violates Article One of the Constitution. The people do not want more of our taxpayer dollars going to endless wars and the killing of civilians. Stop the bombing and do better by us. And from Congressman Ro Khanna, Democrat from California, the president needs to come to Congress before launching a strike against the Houthis in Yemen and involving us in another Middle East conflict. This is Article One of the Constitution. I will stand up for that regardless of whether a Democrat or Republican is in the White House. 
And that post was shared by Senator Mike Lee, Republican of Utah, who added, I totally agree with Congressman Ro Khanna. The Constitution matters regardless of party affiliation. Congressman Mike Gallagher, Republican of Wisconsin, was interviewed on CNN about deterring not just the Houthis, but Iran, which is supporting them. Well, you have to find a way to restore deterrence. The administration is claiming that these long overdue strikes will do just that, but at the same time, simultaneously admitting that the Houthis are likely to retaliate, which by definitions means that uh, deterrence is not restored. So I hope this marks the beginning of a shift in the administration's posture towards Iran and its proxies. We will have to get more aggressive, but I'm not holding my breath. I I fear we're going to just engage in this incremental tit for tat in an effort to avoid further escalation. And such an approach, I think, signals to our enemies that the Biden administration is still reluctant to provoke Iran, despite the fact that Iranian-backed terrorists have already attacked U.S. forces 130 times since October. And of course, just consider the fact that the administration has not put the Houthis back on the terrorist list yet, nor did they even mention the Islamic Republic of Iran in their statement. Which leads us to a final and important point. Um, As the Biden administration looks to spike the football on these strikes, we should remember that this is a problem of their own creation. Uh, Biden removed the Houthis from the list in 2021. They forced our Saudi partners into a truce with Iran and the Houthis by withdrawing intelligence and military support for Saudi efforts in Yemen. And all the while, they've relaxed sanctions on Iran. So until we reimpose that policy of maximum pressure on Iran, I don't think we're going to have a chance of restoring deterrence. Congressman Mike Gallagher, Republican from Wisconsin, today on CNN. The Independent newspaper in Great Britain has an article. A fresh missile attack on a Red Sea ship has been reported after Houthi rebels warned that British interests were legitimate targets following the RAF and the U.S. unleashing airstrikes in Yemen. The overnight bombardment by U.S. and U.K. warplanes, ships and submarines was launched in response to weeks of drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the vital Red Sea. The Houthis vowed fierce retaliation. Military spokesman Brigadier General Yaya Sari said the strikes would not go unanswered or unpunished. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak spoke about the strikes to another newspaper, The Telegraph. Well, over the last month, we've seen a significant increase in the number of Houthi attacks on commercial shipping in the Red Sea. That's putting innocent lives at risk. It's disrupting the global economy. uh, And it's also uh, destabilizing the region. Uh, And in that time, we've also seen the single biggest attack on a Navy warship, a British Navy warship that we've seen in decades. Now, it's clear that that type of behavior can't carry on. That's why we joined with allies in issuing very public condemnation of this behavior. And it's why I made the decision with allies to take what I believe to be necessary, proportionate and targeted action against military targets to degrade and disrupt Houthi capability. We won't hesitate to protect lives and ensure the safety of commercial shipping. The British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in Kiev, Ukraine, interviewed by The Telegraph newspaper. U.S. Lieutenant General Douglas Sims, Director of Operations of the Joint Staff at the Pentagon, did an audio news conference today about the strikes against the Houthis. One reporter asked him what kind of retaliation might be expected. Thank you. Let's go to uh, Eric Schmidt, New York Times. General, can you uh, just talk a little bit more about what you kind of anticipate, what you're seeing? Have you seen any kind of reaction yet 
from the Houthis or from any other uh, of the so-called axis of resistance uh, actors, whether it's the Shia militia in Syria and Iraq, Hezbollah, anybody else that might be responding in solidarity to the Houthis after these strikes. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Um, so we did see one anti-ship ballistic missile that was fired today. That that did not hit any of uh, any any ships of any kind, um, and and we're still working through that in particular. So we know that they have fired at least one missile um, in retaliation. The uh, my my guess is that the Houthis are trying to figure things out on the ground um, and trying to determine what capabilities still exist for them. Uh, but I would expect, as you know, their their rhetoric has been pretty strong and pretty high. I would expect that they will attempt some sort of retaliation. I, I, quite honestly, I would hope they won it. And uh, what I mean by that is there are a number of, of actors here who have the ability and, and have influence with the Houthis who recognize that continued uh, continued conflict is not in their uh, is not advantageous to them. Iran would be one of them, as you know. The Iranians um, are directly you know connected to this, have been connected to the Houthis for quite some time, and we know that the Houthis listen to them. So the hope would be that any real thought of retaliation is based on a clear understanding that. Uh, you know, we, we simply are not going to be uh, messed with here. This is uh, this is all about creating freedom of navigation for the for the international shipping. Lieutenant General Douglas Sims, Director of Operations at the Joint Staff at the Pentagon, today on a teleconference. This is Washington Today. Story at USA Today. With a week until a partial government shutdown, House Speaker Mike Johnson is defying the right wing of his party at the potential risk of his job to stay the course on a spending deal set with Democrats. However, the path to avoid a shutdown is still unclear, as Johnson has not yet agreed to extend Congress's deadline despite the near impossibility of meeting it. Congress has two staggered government funding deadlines ahead on January 19th and February 2nd. On Sunday, Johnson and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer agreed to an overall spending level for the appropriations bills, but little else has been done. That was USA Today. Here's the one-minute statement from Speaker Johnson in the U.S. Capitol building. Good morning, everyone. I've got a statement for you here. After weeks of hard-fought negotiations, we achieved a strong top-line agreement that allows our Appropriations Committee and, and all those who work on this to complete the appropriations process. It's an important part of keeping the government running. The top-line agreement includes hard-won concessions to cut more billions, as you know, from the IRS uh, giveaway and the COVID-era uh, slush funds. It replaces accounting gimmicks from the prior FRA agreement, and it brings Congress much closer to regular order, which is our big commitment here. In keeping with my commitment to bring members into the legislative process, I've spoken and received feedback this week from many members all across the Republican conference. That's a very important part of this. When I became speaker, I committed to decentralizing the speaker's office and making this a a member-driven process. That's been part of this. Our top-line agreement remains. We are getting our next steps together, and we are working toward a robust appropriations process. So stay tuned for all of that to develop. House Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana in the U.S. Capitol building today, not taking any questions. This from the Hill newspaper, a photo of Johnson's prepared remarks snapped by a Bloomberg reporter revealed that the speaker had slightly adjusted his statement from the prepared, we are sticking with the top line agreement to our top line agreement remains. Also this from the Hill article, Speaker Johnson's statement did not stop some of those pushing him to rip up the agreement from holding out hope that the Speaker could push for some of their alternative plans. 
Congressman Bob Good, Republican of Virginia, chair of the House Freedom Caucus, said, well, he has not rescinded it yet, but I am quite certain he is legitimately considering alternatives. And Bob Good says the Hill called for lower spending levels and a change in border policies. Also, Bob Good was among a group of hardliners who huddled with Johnson on the House floor just before the Speaker delivered his statement. The members this week have pushed Johnson to rip up the agreement that Johnson announced over the weekend, which is largely in line with the FRA, Fiscal Responsibility Act, spending caps and side spending agreement with a $1.59 trillion plus around $96 billion in additional budget tweaks. That was from The Hill. CNN Reporter Manu Raju posted some clips of his interview with Congressman Good on the Capitol steps. How disappointed are you in his leadership right now? Well, I don't agree with the announced uh, deal between the Senate and the House that came from the weekend. I'm vehemently opposed to it publicly and privately. We'll continue to do so. Have you lost confidence in him as Speaker? That's a silly question. Why? I mean, you, you voted to oust the last Speaker over a similar agreement. Would you vote to oust him if now? It's a ridiculous supposition that you would that someone who's been a speaker for two and a half months, or been the leadership of our, the leader of our party for two and a half months, would be treated the same as someone who was in that position for years, and is the reason why we needed new leadership. Congressman Bob Good, chair of the House Freedom Caucus, Republican from Virginia, with CNN reporter Manu Raju. From the Associated Press, in the morning before Speaker Johnson made his statement, he met with about two dozen House Republicans, more of them centrist-leaning voices, urging him not to go back on his word and stick with the deal. The centrists assured Johnson they have his back. Congressman French Hill of Arkansas, who had helped former Speaker Kevin McCarthy negotiate the initial agreement with President Biden and the other leaders, said, I just can't imagine the House wants to relive the madness that from Associated Press. President Joe Biden traveled to Allentown, Pennsylvania today to meet with small business owners and local officials, making the case that his economic agenda, Bidenomics as he calls it, spurred the area's economic success. Some of the businesses the president stopped by were a coffee shop and a running shoe store. He also stopped by a firehouse and spoke to reporters. And on a good day. Uh, We came up here in the Allentown area in the greater area to make sure what we were, Bobby and I, Senator and I were doing along with the governor was making some sense and affecting people's attitudes. I've said before that, you know, starting a new business is an act of hope. And a lot of people came out of the last uh, several years, uh, the previous several years, kind of down. You know, I was talking with the, the owners of the coffee shop and you saw me taking them around. And I said, you know, I think we underestimate the impact <clears throat> that uh, uh, the failure to respond to the COVID crisis quickly enough had on the psyche of the American people. And they were, and they surprised me. They said, well, I know it did with us. As President Biden at the firehouse in Allentown, he was joined on this tour of the, the businesses in the area by Governor Josh Shapiro, a Democrat. Pennsylvania, who spoke to reporters. First off, we're excited when the president comes, and he's always welcome. Uh, He's a native of Pennsylvania. For a long time, he was our third senator, and as president, he's really delivered to the Commonwealth. You know, you're not too far from an area of our state. It's real rural and represents um, a good chunk of the 276,000 homes, businesses, VFWs that don't have high-speed internet. 
thanks to the president, they're all going to be connected over the next five years to high-speed, affordable internet. You're not far from infrastructure projects that he has helped fund that's allowed us to do road and bridge repair, that's allowed us to replace water lines so they're no longer bringing lead into people's homes. This is like tangible, practical stuff that the president's delivered on. And as governor, we've, you know, we've really come to appreciate the investments that he's made in Pennsylvania. So I'm really happy when he comes here to highlight that work, and, and we welcome him here. I think that's a question uh, for him. I could tell you that the effect of their policies uh, have really benefited Pennsylvania in terms of the investments in infrastructure, the kinds of things I was talking about before. And um, look, we're seeing small businesses improve. We're seeing uh, you know, issues that he has focused on that, that kind of give us the foundation for success um, really take off. And we're grateful for his investments. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Sapiro, a Democrat, speaking to reporters on the street in Allentown, traveling with the president. On the flight up on Air Force One, the White House Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates talked about an announcement today from the Biden administration about student debt relief. We announced that we are implementing one of the most impactful provisions of the president's SAVE plan, which is the most affordable repayment plan in U.S. history. Starting next month, borrowers enrolled in SAVE who took out less than $12,000 in loans and have been in repayment for 10 years will get their remaining student debt canceled. This action will particularly help community college borrowers, low-income borrowers, and those struggling to repay their loans. And it's part of our ongoing efforts to act as quickly as possible to give more borrowers breathing room. We encourage all borrowers who may be eligible for early debt cancellation to sign up for the SAVE plan at studentaid.gov. Uh, already 6.9 million borrowers are enrolled in the plan. 3.9 million have a monthly payment of $0. The president will continue using every tool at his disposal to get student loan borrowers the relief they need to reach their dreams. And I'll underline that proponents of Maganomics have consistently opposed the relief that he is delivering for hardworking borrowers. The White House Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates opening up a news conference on Air Force One. And Congresswoman Virginia Fox, Republican from North Carolina, chair of the Education and Workforce Committee, putting out a statement. President Biden is downright desperate to buy votes before the election, so much so that he greenlights the Department of Education to dump even more kerosene on an already raging student debt fire. It would surprise no one if the department relied on infants playing with abacuses to balance its books. It is a complete and utter disaster. House Republicans, on the other hand, have already put forth fiscally responsible solutions, such as the College Cost Reduction Act, to address the rising costs of college for students and families across the country. It's clear that the Biden administration needs a good, old-fashioned dose of fiscal common sense. All it knows how to do is spend like a drunken sailor. That statement from the chair of the House Committee on Education and the Workforce, Republican Congressman Virginia Fox. Washington Today continues in a moment. Hi, this is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team. I'd like to introduce you to one of the producers here at C-SPAN, my colleague, Sean. Thanks, Rachel. If you're a fan of Washington Today, we think you'll also like our evening newsletter, Word for Word, which brings you a recap of the day's most important political and policy events delivered right to your inbox. Read about what happened on Capitol Hill and at the White House and watch video highlights featuring the day's newsmakers. Hear them word for word. 
Join our community of informed listeners and viewers. Head over to cspan.org slash connect and subscribe to Word for Word today. Thanks for listening and staying connected with Word for Word. Subscribe now at cspan.org slash connect. Thank you. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast on the free C-SPAN Now mobile app and wherever you find your podcasts. A few more headlines. Federal prosecutors said they will seek the death penalty against Peyton Gendron, the white supremacist who killed 10 black people at a Buffalo, New York supermarket in 2022. He is serving a sentence of life in prison with no chance of parole after he pleaded guilty to state charges of murder and heat-motivated domestic terrorism. And Hunter Biden's lawyer, Abby Lowell, says in a letter to Republican House chairman that Hunter Biden would comply with a new subpoena for a closed-door deposition. Abby Lowell says that the first subpoena was invalid because the House had not yet voted to authorize the President Biden impeachment inquiry. The House is expected to vote next week on holding Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for defying that first subpoena. The House today passed a bill to block a National Labor Relations Board, or NLRB, rule setting a new standard for joint employer status in collective bargaining. A Reuters article explains that the rule, which takes effect in February, would treat companies as joint employers of contract and franchise workers when they have control over key working conditions such as pay, scheduling, discipline, and supervision, even if that control is indirect or not yet exercised. And the rule replaced a Trump-era regulation requiring companies to have direct and immediate control over workers in order to be considered joint employers, which was favored by business groups. That was from the Reuters article. Here's some of the House floor debate before the vote. The sponsor of the bill is Republican Congressman John James of Michigan. This joint employer rule is part of the Biden administration's anti-freedom, anti-growth, and anti-business agenda that is gutting the American dream. Madam Speaker... The American people don't want Washington telling them how to start or manage a business in this country. Don't take it from me. Franchise owners in my district have conveyed to me that they are choosing retirement over dealing with this harmful policy. They want the chance to create a better life for their families and their employees' families and not be controlled by out-of-control bureaucrats at the NLRB. We already have the right to collectively bargain in this country, but this rule goes too far. This is the most glaring evidence yet that capitalism and choice are threats to this administration's socialist America last agenda. When this regulation was enacted under the Obama administration, it cost franchise businesses $33.3 billion per year, according to the International Franchise Association, around 26% are owned by uh, businesses, are owned by people of color, compared with 17% of independent businesses generally. Madam Speaker, I fear this harmful rule will not will lead to job losses, increase of cost of living for Americans already suffering, few American dreams being realized as well. You know, it burns me up when I hear politicians talk about creating jobs. Politicians can't create jobs, but they sure can kill them. That is what this regulation does. Bureaucrats don't create jobs, businesses create jobs. But Republicans aim to make policy that will not only result in more jobs, but more job creators. These job creators, these entrepreneurs, these franchisees, these independent contractors create good paying jobs and give people opportunity to succeed. And overturning this joint employer rule is just the first step in the right direction. 
Congressman John James, Republican from Michigan, on the House floor. He is sponsor of this bill. Rising to oppose the bill, Congresswoman Val Hoyle, Democrat from Oregon. Today I rise in strong opposition to H.J. Resolution 98, which would repeal the National Labor Relations Board Joint Employment Standard. Under President Biden, this rule was issued to protect workers' rights. Unfortunately, House Republicans want to repeal this strong standard, and today I've heard a lot of misleading claims about this joint employer standard. Simply put, this issue is about whether or not employers have to come to the bargaining table where the employer controls the means and manner of the worker's employment. As a member of the Congressional Labor Caucus and someone who spent 25 years in the private sector putting food on the table for my family, I believe that when workers come to bargain over their wages and working condition, those employers who do control the means and manner of workers' employment, and that is the standard by which we determine Um, whether someone is a direct employee or an independent contractor, should be at the bargaining table, as required by law, and when workers do better, employers do better, and our country does better. And this is exactly what the Biden administration's joint employer rule does. What it doesn't do is impact the ability to utilize independent contractors when appropriate. As ha- and has been mentioned today, no franchisee has ever been categorized as a joint employer. There's more misinformation used to undermine the ability of workers to organize and bargain for better wages, hours, and working conditions. This strong standard overturns the Trump administration's rule, and it cracks down on corporations that outsource jobs and use independent contractors to walk away from their duties as an employer, creating an unlevel playing field and unfair competition for those employers who are willing to provide fair wages, hours, and safe working condition for their workers as per the letter of the law. In seeking to overturn the NLRB's new, stronger joint employer standard, House Republicans are working to help bad employers avoid their responsibility to employees and undermining workers across this country. Congresswoman Val Hoyle, Democrat from Oregon, on the House floor. The House went on to pass this bill that blocks the NLRB rule. The vote was 206 to 177. It was almost all along party lines. Eight Democrats voted yes, along with 198 Republicans. The bill now heads to the Senate. It's uncertain whether the democratically controlled Senate will take it up. But even if it passes there, the president says he would veto it if it reaches his desk. Wall Street today, the Dow down 118, Nasdaq up two, S&P up three. From ABC News, the Federal Aviation Administration announced it will take the significant step of increasing its oversight over Boeing and begin an immediate audit of Boeing's production and manufacturing in the wake of the door plug blowing out of an Alaska Airlines flight last week. The audit will, the agency said, evaluate Boeing's compliance with its approved quality procedures. The FAA said it will also assess the safety risks around delegated authority and quality oversight, specifically the Organization Designation Authorization Program. Under ODA, certain aircraft certification processes are delegated to manufacturers like Boeing. That was from ABC News. The FAA Administrator Michael Whitaker was interviewed today on CNBC. So what we're doing is we're increasing overflight, oversight of the manufacturing process. So we know there are problems with manufacturing. There have been problems in the past, uh, but these are continuing. And the aircraft that was involved in the accident last week at Alaska was less than three months old. So this is a brand new aircraft. It has just come off the line and it had significant problems. And we believe there are other manufacturing problems uh, as well. So 
this is all about finding where the risks are, identifying the risks and mitigating them. So we're going to increase uh, oversight by auditing the production process at Boeing and at, and at Spirit, uh, increasing our oversight on the ground, but also our oversight of data. Uh, and frankly, as you mentioned, I think we need to look at who's got authority to make approvals uh, and how that works. This delegation of authority, uh, we want to commission a review of that and see if that's a risk in the system as well. Should there be a third party, Mike? Should there be somebody independent of Boeing on the floor in the Boeing plant saying, yes, this is good to go or no, there's a problem here? Well, I think it's an option we should look at. And, if, and, and there's been a lot of debate about, around delegation. It used to be FAA that did quite a bit more. Uh, that was moved uh, by legislation to the private sector. Uh, that works great in a lot of instances, but sometimes it doesn't. And so rather than debating whether it should move back to FAA, I think we should also look, is there a, is there a third party option? Could we get a technical nonprofit organization that provides that uh, approval or oversight and then we oversee that organization. So it's just an option. It may not be the right option, but I think we need to have that debate. FAA Administrator Michael Whitaker on CNBC. Boeing said it welcomes the FAA's increased oversight and will cooperate fully and transparently with the agency and Spirit Aero Systems, which builds the fuselage for Boeing committed to supporting the FAA's audit of production and manufacturing processes to ensure compliance with the FAA quality management system. They went on as a trusted partner to our customers. Spirit's top priorities are quality, product integrity, and compliance. NASA today unveiled the X-59 Quest, a new supersonic jet designed to break the sound barrier without creating a sonic boom. An article at Space.com reads that rather than creating a sonic boom when it hits Mach 1, the jet should create a sonic thump, similar to the sound of a distant car door slamming. And they write the X-59 program, if successful, has the potential to reshape rules that currently prohibit the flight of supersonic jets over land. The plane, painted in patriotic red, white, and blue, rolled out at Lockheed Martin Skunk Works in Palmdale, California. Lockheed is the prime contractor. And at the event, Bob Pierce, Associate Administrator of NASA Aeronautics Research Mission Directorate. This journey actually began in 1947 when the Aero supersonic flight started right here in the California high desert with test pilot Chuck Yeager and the X-1. It soon became apparent that the sonic boom, a sharp, thunderous sound heard when an aircraft flies overhead at supersonic speed, was going to be a problem. When the Concorde started to fly in the 1960s, ushering in supersonic passenger flight, Concerns about the boom remained, and in 1973, commercial supersonic flight over land was banned by enforcing a speed limit. But we continued to study the science of supersonic sound, gaining key knowledge about how sonic booms affect people and how to reduce their volume. The new century brought a boom breakthrough. Innovative ideas, advanced simulation, ground and flight testing showed us it was possible to design an aircraft that would produce a soft thump instead of a sonic boom. Is the thump quiet enough to allow supersonic flight over land? Our laboratory studies would say yes, but the real answer can only be found by engaging the people who would hear it during daily life, and that's the job of the X-59. After a test phase, the Quest mission will fly over the X-59 over U.S. communities, collect data from the people below, determine if that sonic bump thump is acceptable, and then turn the data over to U.S. and international regulatory authorities in hopes to then lift that ban. But look, to be acceptable, supersonic flight must also be sustainable. Takeoff and landing airport noise shouldn't be louder than regular subsonic aircraft. 
High-altitude emissions should have minimal or no long-term impact at the higher supersonic cruise altitudes. Efficiencies while in cruise mode must be significantly increased, and sustainable aviation fuels will reduce emissions further. At NASA, we're pursuing the key knowledge required for sustainable air travel at any speed. In closing, what we're about to see represents a nearly 100-foot-long step forward in the journey of discovery that began, began decades ago, a step toward opening the door to sustainable commercial supersonic flight over land. Bob Pierce, Associate Administrator, NASA's Aeronautic Research Mission Directorate, an article at nationalinterest.org, says once fully operational and tested, NASA plans to fly the aircraft over the select U.S. cities in 2026 and gather feedback from the public on the sound it produces. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word. It's free. And get the stories making headlines in Washington emailed to you every day. Subscribe at cspan.org slash connect. And a programming note, Washington Today is not going to air on Monday. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. holiday will be back Tuesday, January 16th, 5 p.m. Eastern, and always available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have a good night, good weekend, and holiday. Thank you.